I uh, want to share with you this morning, I love that this month is, the theme is to know God and make Him known. I would not be unhappy if that was our theme every week, every year, every decade, every century, as long as we are here on this planet to hear about, because it is the, the only message, really, when it comes down to it. Um, Paul said he preached not, nothing other than Christ and Him crucified. And I read through recently the book of Acts and it just astounded me how much the early church was passionate about simply knowing Christ and making Him known. And, you know, at the end of last year I was trying to instill into the youth that, hey, even if your friends don't turn up, even if there isn't a great event on, even if the music didn't really go that well one night, that we should be so joyful and even more joyful that we know Christ and that we can make Him known and that is the guts of everything that we do. And so, you know, this is a a favourite sort of topic of mine, so I just want to share about knowing God this morning and uh, help you draw nearer to Him because a, a great relationship with God is available to you and I see so many people miss out on the fullness of that because they don't understand the nature of God, the heart of God for them. And, um, and it's what I'm talking about that we need to know as new Christians, as mature Christians. It's not a, the grace of God is not an entry point and then it's over. It's the beginning, it's the duration, it's the end. We live in grace, we live uh, in Christ. The message of the cross is not something that's good for you for the first year of your Christian life and then all of a sudden now you need to start acting like a Christian. It's the very foundation of everything that we do in every season. Whether you're a Christian for 40 years, your foundation is still the cross of Jesus Christ. And so let me help you this morning understand that a little bit wherever, about, wherever you are at life in, with God at the moment. And I want to do that by firstly looking at a video and a video that has taken Facebook and YouTube by storm. It's had over 15 and a half million hits um, with Christians and non-Christians and there's a lot of debate about it and discussion about it, which isn't really anything new because the same thing happened when Paul said the same sort of message. And um, it's called Why I Hate Religion but, I, but Love Jesus. And so I wonder if we could just uh, turn the stage lights down the front lights and play that. Even if you can't see it, you'll be able to hear it. What if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion? What if I told you voting Republican really wasn't his mission? What if I told you Republican doesn't automatically mean Christian, and just because you call some people blind doesn't automatically give you vision? I mean, if religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Why does it build huge churches but fails to feed the poor? Tell single moms God doesn't love them if they've ever had a divorce, but in the Old Testament, God actually calls religious people whores. Religion might preach grace, but another thing they practice, tend to ridicule God's people, they did it to John the Baptist. They can't fix their problems, and so they just mask it, not realizing religion's like spraying perfume on a casket. See, the problem with religion is it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification, like a long list of chores. Like, let's dress up the outside, make it look nice and neat. But it's funny, that's what they used to do to mummies while the corpse rots underneath. Now I ain't judging, I'm just saying, quit putting on a fake look. Because there's a problem if people only know that you're a Christian by your Facebook. I mean, in every other aspect of life, you know that logic's unworthy. 
It's like saying you play for the Lakers just because you bought a jersey. See, this was me too, but no one seemed to be on to me. Acting like a church kid while addicted to pornography. See, on Sunday I'd go to church, but Saturday getting faded, acting if I was simply created to just have sex and get wasted. See, I spent my whole life building this facade of neatness, but now that I know Jesus, I boast in my weakness. Because if grace is water, then the church should be an ocean. It's not a museum for good people, it's a hospital for the broken. Which means I don't have to hide my failure, I don't have to hide my sin. Because it doesn't depend on me, it depends on Him. See, because when I was God's enemy, and certainly not a fan, He looked down and said, I want that man. Which is why Jesus hated religion, and for it He called them fools. Don't you see so much better than just following some rules? Now let me clarify. I love the church, I love the Bible, and yes, I believe in sin. But if Jesus came to your church, would they actually let him in? See, remember he was called a glutton and a drunkard by religious men. But the Son of God never supports self-righteousness, not now, not then. Now back to the point, one thing is vital to mention. How Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, one's the work of God, but one's a man-made invention. See, one is the cure, but the other's the infection. See, because religion says do. Jesus says done. Religion says slave. Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage, while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And that's why religion and Jesus are two different clans. Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God searching for man. Which is why salvation is freely mine, and forgiveness is my own. Not based on my merits, but Jesus' obedience alone. Because he took the crown of thorns and the blood dripped down his face. He took what we all deserve. I guess that's why you call it grace. And while being murdered, he yelled, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because when he was dangling on that cross, he was thinking of you. And he absorbed all your sin and he buried it in the tomb, which is why I'm kneeling at the cross saying, Come on, there's room. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it, because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. Cool. So, I don't know what you think about that. I'm going to tell you why I think it's good, and um, if you don't, then that's okay. But, um, you know, he's been called a young and immature, and he's got a lot to learn. He's uh, been called, he said he's been stirring atheistic comments and he's opposed to the church, uh, amongst other things. And uh, I think that these people that say that, one of two things, either they misunderstood what he was saying or they need the revelation more than anyone. And, um, you know, I don't think he's speaking against the church. In fact, he says he's not. And on his Facebook, he actually uh, went, came against people and said, hey, if you think I'm speaking against the church, I'm not. If you're using this to bash your church, then don't do it. Um, you know, it's Jesus' bride and he, you know, went in defense for it. I don't think that he's um, speaking against all ceremonies, religious ceremonies, maybe like communion, because we all know that they're powerful and, and there's some great things to do. Uh, I don't think he's speaking against religion for classifications purpose. You know, when someone asks you what religion you follow, I don't think we have to say, well, I'm in a relationship and confuse the heck out of them. It's actually, I think it's okay to say, well, I'm a Christian. And, you know, some people, oh, you can't say, it's not a religion. Well, in for a classification sense, it's a religion. But what I think he's saying is this, and something that uh, Paul wrote in every letter, got opposed for, that Martin Luther spoke against, and or spoke about, and got opposed for. 
And I think he was saying something really simple, that he was saying that Jesus came to give us relationship and not religion. I think it's as simple as that is what he's trying to say. Jesus came to give us relationship, not religion. I think relationship could actually maybe, uh, sorry, religion could be uh, defined as rules without relationship. And um, why don't you turn with me and to Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to read just Paul's point of view. This scripture has been just sort of really speaking to me for a, for a number of weeks now. I just think it's, a, it's amazing. Um, why don't we just read from verse 7. In the beginning of chapter 3, Paul talks about his background as being a Pharisee and, a, and observing the religious uh, laws. And then he comes in in verse 7, chapter 3, Philippians says... But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I think he's saying you can have either. You can have religion or you can have relationship. And, and hear me right, you know what I'm talking about religion now? I've clarified it. That I'm talking about coming before God, trying to earn our standing before Him by what we do, by our works, by the things, by obeying the works of the law. And so I think um, and he's saying you can have one or the other. He said, I consider all a loss that I may gain Christ. Without considering the works of the law, trying to please God by what we do, a loss, we can't know Christ because there's always going to be a distance in our life from Christ, which I'm going to explain in a minute. You can either come to him based on what you've done or based on what he's done. You can either come before him based on who you are or based on whose you are. And, uh, but let me tell you, if you come to God based on your own merits, let me assure you there will never be true relationship in your life. There will never be true relationship with Jesus. You may be a Christian and you may think that you know him, but you're never going to know him and who he really is until you're relying totally on faith in Christ. Um, the Lord, trying to obey God and, and keep our standing before him by what we do, has always caused distance between God and people. And uh, Romans, and this is because, uh, let me tell you why, because the law has no power to make us right before God. Our works, there's nothing that you can do that can make you right before God based on your works. You may be a good person. And that's what I said before I came to Christ. I said, well, I can believe in Jesus, but but I'm a good person, so I don't really think I need forgiveness. And so then it took me a little while of turning away and doing my own thing before I realized that I wasn't as good as I thought. And then now I think I'm a pretty good person again, but I'm also still a sinner. Just Just because you're a sinner doesn't mean you can't be a good person. I think that's a barrier that a lot of people find. They think, well, I'm a good person. I don't need Christ. It's like, well, it's great that you're a good person. We need more of them. But you still fall short of the perfect holy God. And um, Romans 3.20, if we've got that up on the screen, it says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. So actually when you're trying to achieve, when you're trying to pursue, when you're trying to feel good about yourself based on what you're doing, All you actually become aware of is your shortfallings, is your sin, is your failings, is your weaknesses. Because God actually put the law in place that people may realize they need a saviour. 
that, that they would realize that they couldn't do it on their own, that they actually realized they couldn't live up to God's righteous standard in their own strength but needed someone to do it for them. Uh, I remember, you know, once I decided to follow Christ that I still had this thing in me where I, I realized that I was trying to uh, earn God's favor. My, my relationship with him was based on my works, based on my actions. So let me give you an example. I would behave in what I thought was a, an appropriate way for a few weeks. And so then I had a good relationship with God. I felt close to God. I felt like I could approach God. And I feel like that he was pleased with me. All of a sudden, I made a mistake that I thought was bad. And I shrunk back, assured that God would be angry with me. Then I would beg for his forgiveness, promise him I would never do it again, and then come back into relationship with him. And then I'd make another mistake, and I'd be like, God, I promise you I wouldn't do it again. You must be so angry with me right now. And I'd withdraw again, and so the vicious cycle continued, and it just continued and it continued and continued. And yeah, that, that can be the same. It may not be some gross sin. It may not be some you know, terrible act, but it may just be a feeling of unworthiness a feeling of you're not quite good enough, you're not quite reaching up to the expectations that you would like. You may not have done enough, you may not have, or you may have done too much. You may, it's just this feeling that I'm not reaching, I've got this aim, this standard that I want to attain, I'm trying to reach it, but yet I always fall short. Um, turn with me to uh, Exodus chapter 20, if you've got your Bibles there, it will come up on the screen I'm sure, but it's always good to turn to your Bible. Uh, and this is when the, the commands of God were handed out. And you see from the very beginning that the law of God, this meeting God's standard by our own works, has always caused separation from man and God. It always has. From the very beginning it was handed out. See, when God gave the law to Moses in uh, Exodus 20, verse 20, uh, sorry, verse 18, it says, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. And so there's this reluctance, this thing of, well, I'm coming before a holy God. This is a pretty fearful thing. However, Christ came, died on a cross, fulfilled everything that you needed to fulfill so that you can come boldly before Christ every day, every moment in relationship totally regardless of anything that you can do. Read Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through uh, the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God, us, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. I want to ask you, do you come before God with full assurance of faith? Do you come before God with full assurance of faith? Or are you ducking and weaving? Is there any apprehension? Do you look forward to being in the presence of God? Do you look forward to hearing from God? Are you scared that he's going to say something you don't want to hear? Do you look forward to getting a prophecy from God, or do you think he's going to point out your sin? Do you think, do you look forward to, to getting into the Word or are you scared that something's going to convict you and again, He's going to ask you to, you know, point out your sin and make you feel really bad about yourself? When you worship, are you free? Are you, are you energized? Are you so 
uh, yeah, passionate about what Christ has done for you, that the only thing that you can do is sing, oh, how he loves us, oh, how he loves us? Or do you not really quite believe it when you're singing it? Do you, have you heard it said to you, but it hasn't sunk in? Do you know it in your head, but not in your heart? Because I'm telling you, a lot of people tell me that they know that God loves them, but their life and their relationship with him tells me otherwise. Because if we know that there is no accusation against us, that there is no price still left to be paid, that it is only when we are in Christ that we can stand before God anyway, it's only when we know that that we can come before God and be happy, can be at peace, not feel like he's going to be, get his bony pointy finger out and, um, and point it at us. And so I, I think the reason why we're hesitant to come before God is, and it has to be one reason, is that, um, that we are coming before him on our own merits. It's the only way that we would be hesitant to come before a God who has so much love for us, so much grace for us, so much mercy for us, so many great plans for us, uh, so much favour he wants to pour out on us. It's the only reason is that, is that if we come before God by ourselves... Like when I was a kid and um, I, did, so I spoke to my dad rudely and probably needed to get the smack that I deserved, but my mum got in the way and protected me from him. <laughs> it's not like God's not this angry bull at a gate that's trying to beat, beat you up and Jesus is holding him back. No, he had someone in your place, someone that goes between you and God, who fulfilled everything that you couldn't, who did what you can't, so that when he sees you, he sees Christ. He sees an invisible Christ and he sees Christ, but then he sees you in him. The Bible says that we are in Christ. Um, and so, why do, people, why do people get funny about coming for God? It is a scary thing coming for God on your own. If you, are, if you are trying to come before God by only what your behavior, your actions, your morality, then it is a scary place to be at. Um, Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6:23 says the wages of sin is death for the god of uh, for the wages of sin is death the god of the universe to be just and holy must punish sin the price must be paid uh, Romans 1:18 speaks of god's wrath against wickedness and there is a divine wrath a holy wrath of god against wickedness but it's not like the anger that we know as humans uh, the TN, the today's new international version study bible says that this wrath is not a uh, petulant, is it petulant, whatever, you'll get it, Um, a rational burst of anger, such as humans often exhibit, but a wholly just revulsion against what is contrary to and opposes his holy nature and his will. So it's not like Garth behind someone in a a 90 zone who's going 70, who has an irrational burst of anger. I can't handle it. It's just my, my humanity is there and I know that they've got a good other 20 k's an hour in them but they don't do it. It's not wrath, it's not holy indignation, it's just anger. It's my anger as a human being. But Christ is, uh, but with God it's different. It's a, uh, it's, a, it's a holy disapproval of all that is contrary to him or sin. Good news, as we know, turn with, I know you've heard this scripture a million times but I want you to turn to it anyway because there's something, I just want to point out something slightly different here. John 3.16, 
May that never be old to you, this scripture. May it never become common. May it never become commonplace. It is absolutely amazing. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Jesus came to save, not to sentence. He came to make a way out. And so it's not like he's standing there saying, um, you know, if you don't choose me, then I'm going to cause this to come upon you. No, 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 he's saying something has already come upon you, something you were born with, something that descended from Adam, this sinful nature that separates you from relationship with Christ. If you don't believe in me, you stand condemned already. It's not me pointing the finger. It's not me trying to come up with punishment for you. You're already condemned. You're already in an awful situation. But I've come that they may have life. I've come that they may have eternal life. I've come that they would be saved, that whoever believes in my name will will, will not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, Romans 3.25 says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. And I can do that because it's a, say that because it's a morning service and we can talk about big words like that in the morning service. Um, and, and what that means is this, if you're taking notes, the satisfying of divine wrath by the offering of a sacrifice. The satisfying of a divine wrath by the offering of a sacrifice. You know, Jesus satisfied the divine wrath of God against all that opposes his will, all sin, by making an offering once and for all. He is the one who came to satisfy that so that when he sees you, there is no punishment left that needs to be paid for your sin. Your sin has been 100% fully paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. There is nothing left for you to do. Well, okay, Garth, I, I get that when I became a Christian that God forgave all my sins, but now I should know better than that, right? And I should be living like a Christian and there should be fruit in my life that resembles that. That's a whole new ball game. I'm not even going to talk about works today because I don't want to disclaimer the grace of God because it's just pure. The pure thing is that Christ died, paid every price for your past, present, future sins. Your, even your past sins were future sins when Jesus died on the cross. Even your past sins were future sins when Jesus died on the cross. So you say, oh, well, but the thing that I do tomorrow, surely, like, if I make a choice, um, let me read you quickly. It's got about five, ten minutes left in me. Let me read you Hebrews, uh, a really scary scripture. I like, I really like bringing this one out because it makes everyone scared and then I can alleviate your fears. Because I read this and thought I was done for. I thought it was all over. I may as well have just given up, ended it right now because I was gone. And it says in Hebrews 10:26, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. That is awesome, isn't it? You've got to love that. So if you willingly sin, then you can only expect a fearful judgment from God. Oh man, I nearly, yeah, fell over when I read that. And I thought, well, I'm gone. Because 
let's be honest, every sin that you do is willing. There's not some that you accidentally do something. It's not like you, like I, one time, my friend, were lighting fireworks and we're on Wombrel Beach and, um, and he thought it'd be funny to drive off on me. And I was really angry. I was like, fuming. And he drove off on me. I was like, okay, that's all right. Pulls up, went to get in the car, drove off again. It's like, okay, that's really frustrating. Drove around again, went to get in, drove off the third time. The third time, I was furious and I made a choice. When I get in there, the only time I've ever hit someone was my best mate when he actually did let me in. It's not like you accidentally go, oh, oops, there you go, like, shouldn't have done that. That was a total accident. There was no willingness involved or I accidentally swore at you, it just slipped out or, you know, I accidentally robbed the old lady down the street and didn't mean to. My body just took over and I couldn't control it anymore. Every single sin that you do is willing. And so what does this mean? Let me just assure you that this was written to uh, the Hebrews who were in danger of turning away from Christ, the one sacrifice, the one sacrifice. It was a sin of apostasy, of turning away, not of swearing or even murder or adultery. It was a sin of turning from the one true God and going back to trying to stand before God on your own merits. And he said, beware, if you do that, if you turn away and you sin in that way and you turn away from from Christ, then there's no sacrifice left because it's only he that paid the price. It's only in Christ. So if you turn away from that sacrifice, you're in danger. Christ died for your past, your present and your future sins. And I know that you're just saying right now, Garth, people are going to make, make them, you know, you're going to make people think that they can do whatever they like. I'm fine with that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to clarify that one for you just yet. Once the church starts gossiping and slandering about my messages, then I may bring in some sort of clarification about it. So you can go and talk amongst yourselves and, what is he saying? Well, there is, I'm telling you, when you sin tomorrow, the price has been paid. I was so close to saying another disclaimer, but I didn't. I'm just, I'm just not. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say, I'm just saying your future sin is paid for. And so you have full assurance of faith. There is nothing left to be paid. So when you beat yourself up, you're wasting your time because Jesus got beat up for you. He already got beat up big time, big time for your sin. And so really when you're there just smacking yourself, oh, I'm so stupid, I can't believe I did that again, and blah, 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 blah. There's some wisdom things that you can do to avoid certain things, which we'll talk about at another time maybe. But you've been beat up already. Your response when you make a mistake is to stand up, turn to him, thank him for his grace, and get back up and go again. Because if you don't do that, then you're going to be doing what I did. You're going to be just so disappointed. Oh, I didn't do it, and God's angry. I'm so sorry. And that's totally not what God wants. Check this scripture out. Romans 5.9 Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God? How much more shall we be saved? Precious blood of Jesus. And uh, I just want to... Let me give you one more example uh, I was a real goody-goody at school. Uh, there's no two ways about it. I didn't do the things that people would try and get me to do. I just sort of didn't drink until I became a Christian and didn't backslide, didn't do anything wrong until I got saved, really. Um, which is a whole other story, I can assure you. But I did come back after that as well. 
So I was in year six and, you know, I was one of those people where detention scared the pants off me, hey? Detention. Like, if only I knew, some, like, some of the kids that I've given detentions to that don't give a rip and uh, just turn up as if it's like a, you know, social club. I was scared. Detention scared me. If you're going to detention, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I never had a detention in my life. And so I... Um, <laughs> Jess, on the other hand, I'm telling you... I did go to a public school, but the Christian schools are a lot harder. You know, you have your hair going that way instead of that way, and it can cause trouble at times. But uh, one in year six, I, I was, I, I turned, I turned bad, and um, and I got sent out of scripture. But the problem being this, that my mum, who was my teacher, probably why I didn't do a lot of the things that other people did had stood up beforehand and said, if any of you get sent out of Scripture, it is an instant detention. Instant detention. And so there was this other guy. He was a bad guy. He was one of the bad people. You know those kids are just always in trouble, always getting other people in trouble. Jesse. And, um, exactly. And, and he was talking to me. And I did talk a little bit at school. That was my one downfall. I did talk a little bit. I got a, picked up papers a few times for talking. And all of a sudden, you two, get out. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to get a detention. This is the worst ever. And I was outside and the other kid, you know, he's sitting against a brick wall. just going, whatever, who cares? I'm there bawling. I'm crying. I'm like, oh, this is the end of the world. This is going to be so bad. I'm getting a detention. I've never had a detention. I'm going to get in so much trouble at home. And, um, but I, you know what happened? Nothing. Do you know why? My mum was the teacher. Exactly right. I wasn't like the others. I had a different relationship. And that's a little bit twisted on an evil side compared to Jesus paying the price and dying for the, for the sin. This was just a get out of jail free card. But it illustrates the difference that if that was anyone else, if that was that kid by himself, he was gone. I reckon he would have been gone. But because I had a different relationship... And I had a clean record as well, but anyway. Um, but I had a different relationship. I was a son. I was a son. I wasn't like, I, was, I had a different relationship. I remember the time that I realised that I had that different relationship. I was always, I don't know why my mum was horrified when I told her. I was always a little bit scared of my mum. And she was so loving. She's the best human ever. But I saw her in teacher role all the time. And so I, I saw her as a teacher. Then I remember we were mucking it around at home one day. I was like, this is all good. You're fun. Like, this is, you're not... You're not angry. She goes, what are you talking about? I was like, you know, we, at school, you know, you're always strict and this and that. And she just like was horrified. She goes, no, son, you're my son. This is, it's different to the other kids. I'm not like one of the other ones. I'm, I was in the family. I was one of her children. And so with you, it's different. Not different to other Christians who act better or don't make the same mistake or don't have the same struggle as you. You have a different relationship to those that are not in Christ. And that is why we need to make him known, because there is something to be fearful of if we aren't in Christ. But when we're in Christ, it's different. And let me just tell you really finally while we get the keyboard player up, I want to read one scripture to you to, to encourage you in this year. When Pastor Julie's saying it's a year of favour, she's mentioned it a number of times and she said this as well, that it's undeserved favour. It's a year of favour, it's nothing because of what you do. Do not seek it. Do not force it. 
don't try and attain it. Just be. Be with God. Be a child. Just know him. And favor will follow. In Matthew 6, he says, don't worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. You know, the flowers of the field uh, are clothed. They don't, you know, the birds eat and they don't uh, sow or reap. But your heavenly father loves them and cares for them. How much more you? How much more you? Your provision doesn't come from, dare I say it, your offering. Your provision comes from your father who loves you. Your, your favour comes from your God who loves you. Let me read you Psalm 30 verse 5. It says, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favour is for a lifetime. Now if we read that in New Testament terms, that means this. His favour, his, his anger was but for a moment on the cross. When he took out all his anger against your sin, on Jesus Christ his son. Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? took out every bit of anger that he has towards you in that one moment and that all that remains for you is a lifetime of favour so this year come on let's get excited we've got to make this gospel of grace alive in our hearts yeah we've been through a building struggle but that's not the focus of what we're doing here it's not the focus of what we're doing. Yes, we have a band. Yes, we have screens. We try and do things well. We have programs to facilitate one thing, knowing God and making him known. Everything we do facilitates that message. Our connect groups facilitate community. Why? If we don't have them, we won't hang out with each other. Our society is so individualistic, we won't hang out if we don't sometimes organise them. You know... Our, our worship, well, it's better than hearing me just sing without music. I'd rather hear Jamie sing with music. It facilitates our worship a lot better. But everything we do is about knowing God, making Him known. And we come, we worship, there should be such a buzz, such an excitement, that when we stand before God, we're not standing on our own righteousness, we're standing in His, in Jesus Christ who came, fulfilled everything that we couldn't, became like us so we could become like Him. Yeah, man, if that doesn't excite you, then I don't know what will. Because I'm, every day, as Luke said, every day, that should bring a freshness to what you're going through. Whether it's a challenge, whether it's good times, forget, him in, forget this in no circumstance, that Christ is the center, that Christ died, that you may know him. I'm praying today that you'll count everything loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, your Lord. Surpassing greatness. Better than anything you can do, anything you can conjure up, is his love for you. So why don't we stand up and pray for a, for a few minutes. Then we can get the band up again. Why don't you stand up, close your eyes, lift your hands to God. And just take a moment to ponder. If you have that revelation, then you're probably as excited as I am right now anyway. Of course, it never gets old. If you needed to hear it, I want you to grab a hold of it right now where you are. I want you to lift your hands to God. And as the, we might just get the band to sing over us just quietly for a few minutes, just how he loves us. And remind yourself, as you stand before God, don't picture yourself on your own. You've got someone who stands with you.
someone interceding with you. The devil is accusing you day by day, but Jesus is in your defense. The devil will point out to you your weaknesses. The devil will point out to God your weaknesses. But Jesus, crucified, takes every accusation, every divine wrath, every punishment, that you may be in relationship with God, that you may know Him. Don't settle for religion. Don't settle for works. Don't settle for trying to do it in your own strength. But depend on the grace of God. Depend on Him who goes before you, who gives you a righteousness not of your own. 2 Corinthians 5 says that you are the righteousness of God. So God, we thank you right now. Lord, that you're so good. God, that your love endures forever. Thank you, Lord, that that you sent your son to take our punishment, to take religion, to take works, to take the old covenant and make it all new. God, we stand before you depending on Christ with faith in Him, believing that we are right before you. With a full assurance of faith, we boldly come. But we don't stand at a distance and say, Pastor Phil, you speak to us. But don't let God speak to us. God, we enter in most to the most holy place with full assurance of faith. 